Let's share our points of view. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. Today, I'm talking to Mel Kubik and Karen Kitchen, and they are together the Prairie Blossoms. Mel and Karen did some recording at Dead Anthelmas, and that's where we usually record the podcast. And Mike, our engineer, sent me a couple of tracks, and I was immediately smitten. Um, so thank you, Mel and Karen, for talking to me today. Sure. It's a pleasure. Yeah. How are you guys doing? How is your family in the quarantine? Who are you living with? Go ahead, Karen. Um, well, um, uh, I'm living with my partner, and um, life is pretty good here at my my home. But like many people, um, I, I I wish I didn't have travel restrictions. Um, I have a, a relative who is... Um, in uh, poor health right now that I, my, my sister, who I'd really love to be with. And um, so that that's making it difficult. So, um, but other than that, I feel really blessed to, um, uh, to, to have healthcare and, and a garden and, um, you know, lots of, of good people uh, who check in on me and care about me. Mm. And uh, I'm just really super glad, as I, I, I mentioned to Susanna when we very first signed on, it was like, I'm just so ha happy to hear somebody's voice that isn't someone that I live in the house with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mind you, I love the people I live with. Um, but at the same time, it's like, oh, the outside world. <laughs> I want to be where that, the people are. Where the people are, yes. <laughs> and I get to see Karen's face I, right now because we're, we decided to go ahead and, and be on screen. It was just like, oh, there she is. There she is. I haven't seen her. We've talked, we've talked on the phone, but um, we haven't been able to see each other. And, mm -hmm. and actually, my little tirade about my family, it's um, I, I've been teaching, like immediately got myself set up to teach online. So um, I get to see my students every week, which is pretty cool. And, mm. uh, and then I'm also a music director at a church and, uh, down in Canby. And, um, we have a very small team of four who stay like at least 10 to 15 feet away from each other every Sunday. And, uh, we're doing zoom, uh, services. So I do get to get out of the house and see three other people on a regular basis. <laughs> mm. Uh, although we're all masked, I'm not quite sure what they really look like. But anyway, we're. Um... <laughs> um, can you guys explain to everybody what you did prior to pairing up and becoming the Prairie Blossoms and how you met? Okay, well, um, gosh, um, I I met Mel several years ago uh, doing some other musical projects. I think uh, one of their first get-togethers was the Jammin' for Salmon. Mm -hmm. um, with uh, a Navajo musician named Arlie Neskai and Marv Ross and just some wonderful folks. And um, and then over the years, we had an opportunity to work together again uh, in a uh, Oregon Children's Theater production of Chicago Huea. And after that, we got to work together in Ghosts of Celilo. Yeah. 
and uh, <laughs> and um, uh, I, I retired from my uh, position in Portland Public Schools a few years ago, which opened up my life to um, to do much more music and pursue some of my other interests and. Um, you know, things just worked out in a beautiful way, and um, Mel was available to start working on some new projects, and 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 so it began the Prairie Blossoms. <laughs> yep, we uh, yeah, I've I've been kind of uh, working musically since I got here um, in 1985, and and prior to that in Denver, um, and. Uh, I met Karen. Actually, if I had not been a member of Quarter Flash, I never would have met Karen because mm. all all good things come through Marvin Rindy Ross. I've learned that in my life. <laughs> mm. They are so wonderful. They are so wonderful. And they do so many like diverse projects and um and we're super good friends. And so it was like I've been on most of those projects with them and and that um the jamming for salmon thing was like was like a little godsend for me, you know, getting to work with Arlie and Karen and I think Nico Wind and yeah, and and it was just such a cool, cool deal. And Karen and I like hit it off immediately and it was like well, any anytime you might have a project, give me a call because I'd like <laughs> to work with you some more. Cause we mostly just have our rehearsals are so funny. It's like we generally have like a three hour rehearsal and two hours of that is like catching up and dishing and doing whatever. And then we get down to singing. So, um, mm. it's, uh, part of the, our, I guess our, uh, that's our urban storytelling, uh, happens first and then we sing. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I was doing all kinds of projects and I was, the, I was the musical director on ghosts of Celilo. And so Karen and I got to work together both in the development of the, of the piece and, um, with Marv and, everybody and uh and then uh, she, she actually workshopped um one of the roles um uh, and as did Shinoa Igawa and Shinoa did it on stage because Karen's such an awesome singer that we had to have her in the orchestra <laughs> it was like we love you on stage and we need you down here, you know? So anyway, uh, for all those other things that we need sung. So, um, anyway, so yeah, we got to work together in both of those productions. Um, and, uh, and it's just always, I'm d don't cry or anything. Cause I'm just, I, it's like, it's always such a joy to be in your presence and to do the work that we do. It's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, if you haven't had the chance to see her either as a either as a solo performer or with Border Crossing or whatever, I, I highly recommend you do so because you'll be moved always. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so. And yeah. I remember Ghosts of Celilo. I just never understood why that project didn't just keep going and going and going because I thought it was so beautiful. It's really a stunning piece. And I mean, we were lucky to be able to do it twice. And um, both of those runs would have um, would have gone longer, except that we were sandwiched on either end at the theater. Mm -hmm. There was a piece that was there before and one that was coming in from out of town. And that's what we had to work with. So we filled in every possible spot between the two dates. You know, we were doing we were doing what, 10 shows a week. It was pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and to be perfectly honest, part of the reason that, um, that it, 
um, one of the reasons I should say it hasn't been mounted again is that um, when you do a show with children, um, mm-hmm. which this show had like a dozen altogether, um, they they grow up. Dang it, they grow up, you know? And it's like they really develop into these roles and we really develop a family. And then it's like, oh, they're aging out of the show. And it was, yeah, it's like um, we were really lucky that we were able to um, able to have uh, Noah, um, uh, Noah Hunt, um, who played Chokey Jim, who was like the lead role. Uh, he's still, at the time that we did the second round, could still play that age but all the little ones had grown you know it's like the difference Mm. between six and ten is a whole different deal you know Mm. it's like there's we don't have any little ones anymore and now everybody looks like they're 20 Mm. (laughs) so it's like dang it (laughs) i'm curious about salilo falls in particular has there been any shift in the uh situation with the falls itself with the you know, potential eradication of dams and so on currently? Has there been a shift? Karen, do you know anything about that? I I, I don't know so much about, um, about that. I know that um, there was um, some folks who did some underwater cameras and stuff and, you know, the falls are still there, you know, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I I think that would be a great question for folks um, at Columbia River uh, Fish Commission, mm. like Chuck Hudson. Let's call Chuck Hudson and find out what's going on with that. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious how your both of your ancestry. Do you have some parallels in your ancestry? Or are they both are they completely disparate? Um. Well, we both spent. A, a fair amount of time on the prairies in, you know, Kansas and Oklahoma. I grew up in Kansas and Karen grew up in Oklahoma. But um, as far as ancestry goes, I'm I'm Polish and German. This is one of those things Arlie um, Neskai used to ask me. He would just like, we he taught me to sing some songs and I could actually do it, you know, and, mm. and play drum. And actually I figured out what was going on. And he was like, he said, uh, what tribe are your people? And I said, the Polish people are my tribe. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, are you sure you don't have any? And I was like, Uh, you know, I actually did my ancestry thing, you know, uh, the DNA thing. And yeah, there's not one single drop. I'm all Poland and Germany. That's everything. So hmm. um, anyway, but um, I think uh, part of the thing that, that, Hmm. and Karen, you can speak to this too, but, but part of it just has to, our, our, um, what our, our camaraderie and our, um, energy together, I think is somewhat fueled by those incredible grasslands that we grew up on. It's like, I still, I, I love Oregon. I've lived in Oregon longer than I've lived anywhere. And every time I get the opportunity to go out onto a prairie somewhere in Kansas or Oklahoma or Nebraska or Iowa, I am in my element. So, um, it's like, I just feel my entire being expand. And so, um, that is something I think that both of us share is that love for just that, a horizon that goes on forever. So Mm. how about you, Karen? Um, well, my, uh, I'm a citizen of Osage nation of Oklahoma and, uh, through my mother and on my father's side, um, there's some Cherokee and Choctaw ancestry and, 
but I, I do feel kinship with uh, the the native peoples in this area. Uh, after living here for as long as I have, and um, just doing some of the work, the cultural work through the Title VI Indian Education Program that I was involved with for you know nearly thirty years, and so why I like to while I like to you know point out that you know the five hundred and seventy four federally recognized tribes are are unique and 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 different. We do share uh, many common common values, and um, so in, in the prairie blossoms, one of the things that you know we we try to do is showcase some of that uh, diversity and mm-hmm. and tribal specific songs that that we included in in this first collection to you know to inspire, but also to kind of help educate you know people about our history and and the fact that we're still here. Mm. Well, the first song I was thinking we would listen to would be Till the Star Rises. Can you describe what tradition that song springs from and which language you're going to be singing? Mel? Sure, yeah. Um, it's uh, one of the Pawnee uh, ghost dance songs. And um, we. it's from the late 1800s. And we derived quite a few of the pieces uh, that we do, especially on this collection, from a book called The Indian's Book that was a collection of stories and songs and artwork of uh, Native peoples around the, from the late 1800s through the early 1920s um, by an ethnomusicologist named Natalie Curtis, who as a Victorian female, was uh, running around the country uh, completely in love with uh, Native art and culture and music, and she wanted to preserve these things and and give credit where credit was due, and she created this incredible collection in the short time that she was alive, and Karen had mentioned the book. She had a copy of it, and so I got online, and it's out of print. And so we, I found a couple more. So we had them at our use, and these are like handwritten manuscripts with translations and phonetic lyrics, so that we know what it is we're saying. She'll do them in the language, and if if there is a written language available or there was at the time and if not then she did phonetics and it's the collection of stories each one attributed to the um the singer who sang it and uh complete with tempo markings and all those things it was really a a labor of love for her and Mm. um anyway and so we started looking through these things and i you know we were looking for ghost dance songs in particular and as we were looking through different tribes, I found this one and just sort of played the, they're all melodies. They're just melodies. There is no harmony um, in native singing from that time. And so it just, you know, I would sing, sing what was in, sing what was written there and, and it sparked some ideas for me. And so I brought it then to Karen and said, I think this one might work and uh, played it for her and played around. And all of those things suggest like landscapey cinematic, type sounds you know and the Pawnee people are a plains tribe and so it it immediately resonated with me so um anyway that's uh I brought it to her and then we had fun Hmm. Mike you ready to play till the star rises 
<laughs> you used a word, I can't remember the phrase, but ghost, the type of song you were describing that this ghost. song fell. Yeah, ghost dance. Um, ghost dance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can, uh, Karen, you want to speak to that? You you do that beautifully. <laughs> well, um, the ghost dance movement um, uh, happened in uh, the 1880s, towards the end of the 1880s, like 1888. And it was um, a religious movement, a spiritual movement that... Um, um, the the disciples or the participants um, believed that by by doing um, this this ghost dance and by by saying these prayers and these songs that um, they would bring about um, the the old ways would 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 come back the buffalo would would be back um, the 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 traditional way of life um, would um, would come back. Um, and also that there would be reunion with um, the the loved ones who had crossed over, who had passed on. Um, but um, the the military, the U.S. government saw this as um, you know very. Uh, they they were very concerned that uh, Indians wouldn't want to be staying in the forts anymore, you know. And uh, so uh, it it led to. Um, the the massacres that happened. Uh, it led to the massacre at Wounded Knee, um, and uh, it just set um, a, a chain of events that um, resulted in a lot of genocide um, for the Native people who, as um, Short Bull uh, said, you know, this, this, this movement was about peace. There were, there were never any... Um, uh, Ideas that you know they were going to make war, they were going to be violent. It was it was all about uh, finding peace and, like I said, um, you know, uh, maintaining um, tradition and culture that they still had, and and renewing what had already been taken away. So many of the songs that you looked for were this particular type of song. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think there were um, the three Pawnee songs, definitely, and um, several of the um, Dakota songs um, are five of the Dakota songs, our ghost dance songs, and I think there's a few others in there that were, but um, definitely those three, the Pawnee songs and the Dakota songs, um, there was a there were a lot to choose from. Uh, that Natalie had written down. And, and she really, I, I feel like she really, based on what she wrote, um, really understood what that was about. And it was part of a reason that she wanted to make sure that like translations of these things were possible. And so that, so that we knew, you know, the very first ghost dance song that we learned was, uh, um, was the um, Ate Yapikin, which is a Dakota song by Go by um, Short Bull that Karen mentioned. And, and the moment, I mean, I listened to the, or played out the melody and was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. And, and then I looked at the English translation of the words and I was like, we absolutely have to sing this song. I mean, it's, it's, um, it spells out the entire message of the ghost dance. And it was, you know, again, about the peace and the bringing of people together and, and, uh, living together as one people, um, 
as kind of a mandate and it like sort of shaped everything that we that we've done after that point you know it's been it's it moved us both deeply and uh, so anyway uh, I was I I know but it's it's the pandemic is really striking the native communities very deeply and I wondered if there was any suggestion either of you might have for listeners to learn more about this and and if there's something they can do. Um, A couple of nights ago um, on uh, the PBS um, broadcast of Christiane Amanpour, Mm -hmm. she interviewed uh, Jonathan Nez, who's the the chief of the um, Navajo Nation and did quite a, um, a, a wonderful interview where he was um, speaking to the, um, the, the issues of how COVID is deeply impacting the Navajo Nation. I really, uh, I think it was wonderful for her to do that interview because the next day, I think on you know, CBS Evening News, they also um, went to Navajo Nation to report out. Um, but I, I recommend going to Indians.com uh, and, and just checking, you know, different tribal websites. I know um, uh, uh, Deb Ham- Hadlin did a, a, a webinar the other day uh, about COVID in Indian country. And, and uh, there were several folks who um, are leading that work uh, throughout Indian country that, that spoke to uh, the specific needs um, on, on different reservations, um, severely impacting our, our people uh, across this country. And you uh, mentioned a, li- a minute ago about the second song we were going to listen to, Ate Yapi Kin. Mm-hmm. This, is, um, this is a Dakota song. This was, right. um, this was attributed to Short Bull. And uh, yeah, it's a, and it's the first one that we, that we encountered and chose because of the beauty and the strength of its message for peace.
these songs, both of them feel so spiritual. I mean, I can feel so much in my body when I'm listening to them. And I, I'm curious how working on these, these pieces have deepened your, your friendship. Oh, goodness. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible to do it without it, like completely changing the composition of your soul. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I think for both of us, uh, I think that one of the things that, that is, um, at least for me is that in, in, in doing these things, we're sort of, uh, I find myself allowed to really f- just authentically feel what it's doing for me and doing to me and what's coming through me um, because it's not my own music. I'm an interpreter. I'm a, I didn't catch the song in the first place. I, you know, I found it, it came from someone else and it's, and it's, it's about, Uh, being able being able to interpret from uh, from this white privileged position that I happen to sit in, you know, um, something that I feel that uh, my own personal opinion, but the rest of the world is really missing out on. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like they're really missing out on on something really powerful, and they and they don't they don't really, I mean, we found this to be the case in France and Poland. It's like, they, they, they don't really know that this still exists in the world, you know, and Mm. native people are alive. Indigenous people all over the world are alive and, and living and doing things in a 21st century world, you know, Mm -hmm. and their heritage is, is so incredibly rich and we have so much to learn from it. Especially yeah. now, it seems to me. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. To me, singing these songs, it's um, it's praying, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's, and it's mm-hmm. giving thanks. And it's, um, it's, you know, showing that we are um, uh, interconnected. You know, we belong to each other. Uh, we belong with each other. Mm-hmm. Um we we carry forth, um, you know, what our ancestors sacrificed for, what they fought for. Um, they're still here with us, and this is a way that we can honor honor their work and um, ensure that that it continues. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that making this music together is gives you a lot of hope for the future. Oh, it does for me, for sure. You know, when I, um, when we perform it live, which is, which, uh, kind of became its own challenge because many of these songs, um, we, we kind of, we chose on the fly when we were working in the studio, not on the fly, but it was like, we had a deadline and we didn't have enough material that we brought in. And so it was like this, just kind of letting, uh, spirit guide us into what, what the next chunk of songs were going to be um they were kind of created you know on the spot our arrangements of them were were you know kind of an overnight mail staying up at night going okay let's try this and karen what do you think and and then going in the next day and and uh and and laying it down and seeing where it took us so in that sense it was kind of like a jazz recording for me and that you know it's like okay we're 
we're just inventing this in the moment and and seeing what happens with it and uh, letting it develop. It develops us and we develop it. And uh, so um, I have, you know, it's like four o'clock in the afternoon and it's coffee time. And I don't know where that thought was leading. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, yeah, you know, oh, oh, I know where I was going with that. Um, So we built incredible layers into this piece. We laid down a piano part and it is a piano part. There's no layers over that. But um, but the. but the vocals, um, some of these arrangements are pretty complex. And, and after we got it done and we were just loving everything, it we looked at each other. I remember, I don't remember whether it was over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, but we looked at each other and went, how are we going to do this live? And it's like, no worries. No worries. That's me. No worries. We'll figure it out, you know, we'll figure out a way to like capture everything as much as we can. And, mm. and, and as far as, as far as going back to what, um, you know, uh, inspiring hope in the world. We've had the the joy and privilege of seeing the look on people's faces who have never encountered this kind of music before, um, and and they are awestruck and moved and in tears and laughing and up and dancing and children especially you know just like dive right in but you know i'm i children love lots of things so i kind of expected that from children but i was not expecting that from the adults you know even adults who you know in one in some ways you know we performed in europe and and um you know we were wondering well you know it's like they don't understand this language it's like well they don't understand any of the languages that we're singing in neither do the americans that we're playing for so um (laughs) we'll just see how it goes you know and and every audience has just been utterly astonished it's just been utterly astonishing to watch how how deeply they connect with the music i don't think i've ever seen anyone out there leave or not come up to us afterwards and say oh my gosh i had no idea that this existed and where can i find more of it you know speaking of where can people who are listening find till the star rises here Okay, funny question. <laughs> We're working on that right now. Um, uh, we we toured this summer. We we the record came out and we were doing we were doing many concerts and and then we came back. Uh, we toured for a couple of months this summer in Europe and then we came back and took kind of a month off to like get our biorhythms back in check and then mm. uh embarked on a series a, a huge series of like library concerts all over the city of portland and and then broke for christmas and then the pandemic happened christmas mm-hmm. and knee surgery and then and then the pandemic happened and it's like um everything was being sold at our gigs which was uh you know just kind of live at our gigs and we really didn't uh sit down because everything moves so quickly and uh, create an, an online place where they can buy them. But um, they will be on CD baby very, very soon, like within oh. the next month. Oh, yeah. excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate you two talking to me so much and I, we could talk on and on and on because the depth and the beauty of this music you're making and your relationships and the history and traditions that you are celebrating it's just it's music in every way you know and i Mm -hmm. think it's food for people right now yeah 
Thank yeah. You. Thank you so much, Susanna. Yeah. Uh, wish you all the best and uh, take a look for Till the Star Rises here on mm -hmm. CD Baby. And until then, you can just listen to this podcast over and over, and at least you can hear two songs. And we have a website, um, mm -hmm. which is uh, www.theprairieblossoms.com. You want to make sure to put the the in there, or you'll get um, a plant nursery in Wisconsin, uh, <laughs> which we love, which we would love to support, but they don't have our record. So um, <laughs> anyway, Maybe you guys should blossoms. send them a box of them and they could put a CD in with every, you know, phone order. Now, see, this is how brilliant things happen right here. You know, yes, we actually should. Uh, and perhaps, you know what? We will. I'm just going to commit to that right now because that's a brilliant idea. Um, the uh, Anyway, so I do have, I, I change it up um, kind of weekly, every every couple of weeks or weekly, depending on my mood um, and the time I have allotted. And uh, we put up different tracks. There's always at least uh, at least three up that they mm -hmm. can go and listen to. Fantastic. Um, they're right off the record. And, and for those, they don't have to pay. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, wow. but they're only up for a certain, you know, a short period of time, like a week or whatever. But um, right. they can check it out there, definitely. It's the Gateway song. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, you, you guys are just a joy. I can feel, I just feel the love between you when we talk. And it is I really just enjoyed talking to you so much and I know everyone is going to love to hear this interview and hear the music and go to the website and do all the good things that you can do from the privacy of your own home at this time. Thank you so much, Susanna and Artslandia for like mm. in this. And, and also I'm going to give, you know, Mike was also the engineer on this project and, mm -hmm. uh, he is, he's the third silent player on this. Um, and without his genius, there is just no way this thing would have come together like it did. Yes, he is, an, Mike. <laughs> he is an unsung hero in our city. So let's give it up for Mike Moore. Yay! And he is unsung. So perhaps Karen and I should write a song about Mike. I like it. I, I can sing back up with you guys. <laughs> all right it's a deal we will do all it right. yeah take good care both of you much love much, much love, love to you too stay safe and healthy you too thank you so much thanks karen thanks mel so everybody it's so fascinating i'm continuing my chat with karen kitchen uh, because when we initially did our podcast recording karen reached back out to me and wanted to talk about some other aspects of her work. And I'm so grateful she did. Uh, so I wondered, Karen, if you could talk a little bit to your inspirations for working on this music. Yes, thank you. So um, back in the 80s here in Portland, some of my native and non-native friends had introduced me to the music of um, Jim Pepper, the saxophonist. And I liked everything I heard, but especially his album, Coming and Going. And I had uh, knew and admired his mother, Floyd, Floyd Pepper, for her many, many contributions to the field of special education uh, and also um, to Indian education. And she was really proud of Jim and was always promoting his music. Uh, well, at that time, I was singing in two different groups, uh, my trio, Border Crossing, 
with bassist Fred Hard and guitarist Peter Dannon, and also in the group Tiempo Caribe, which was also known from time to time as Cuban Dance Ensemble. Well, Fred had known Jim for many years and had been one of the first musicians to work with Jim on his hit song, Wichitaito, and one of the leaders in the Tiempo Caribe band, drummer Nick Geffro, had been friends with Jim since high school and was one of Jim's first bandmates. So anyway, one day in 1991, I got calls from Fred and from Nick and from my friend, poet and storyteller Ed Edmo, and they all wanted to make sure to let me know that Jim was in town and he was going to be playing that night at The Hobbit. So of course I had to go. And the show was just wonderful. It, it was really fun to see Jim's mom, Floyd, and his dad, Gilbert, out on the dance floor having a great time. And uh, during one of the breaks, Jim came over and sat at our table to visit. Well, he and I talked about our tribal affiliations, me being Osage, and he, Khan Creek. And we talked about that kinship between his people, the Ka, and my people, the Osage, uh, and how the Ka had given us our drum back in the 1880s. So later he said, hmm, so you're a singer. Well, what do you sing? So I was telling him all about my love of doing jazz standards and Nueva Cancion, international folk and Afro-Cuban music. And he just looked at me really intently, like, and he said, do you have a drum? And I told him, well, I have several little percussion instruments, but no, I, I didn't have a drum. So then he asked if I sing any Indian songs. And I said, mm, not really. I mean, I know a few, but I don't really sing them much. And he told me, you need to get a drum and you need to sing Indian songs. And I kind of pushed back a little bit, I think, because I wanted some validation for the music I was already doing with, with people like Fred and, and Nick. And, and he was just really kind of stern and he just insisted, this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, well, sadly, you know, Jim was already suffering from, from cancer and he died just a few months later. And then his father passed away that same year. Mm. Um, but I, I went on to work for Indian education program full time. And I enjoyed getting to learn more about Jim through my friendship with his mother, Floyd. And I did begin learning different tribal songs that I mostly shared with children. Um, sometimes I would sing at um, events, you know, doing an honor song. And, and sometimes I would add a native song to a border crossing concert. And, and then when I got to work in um, the musical Sacagawea and Ghost of Celilo, of course, I got to sing beautiful traditional and contemporary Native songs on the big stage. And then, you know, other events like the Jammin' for Salmon Festival. So then in, uh, I think it was 2014, my friend Ed Edmo got me involved with a sweet musical theater show called The Jim Pepper Project. Mm -hmm. It had been written, produced, and directed by the fabulous Don Horn at Triangle mm -hmm. Theater. And, and through that lovely experience, I was kind of reawakened again to, to Jim's unique and, and powerful contributions to contemporary music and, and how American Indian music is world music, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought about my encounter, my my getting to meet uh, the famous Jim Pepper, and and I realized, you know, he paved this marvelous road, 
and he'd invited me and actually he had directed me to, to journey on, on that road, mm. you know, um, gosh, what an honor. Right. Mm. And, and I, so I realized I needed to show my gratitude to him and, and to his influencers, um, composers and song carriers like the great Lewis Ballard uh, of the Quapaw Nation, who's also been a, a, a huge influence uh, to me. And, and the best way to show this gratitude um, is through music. And so that's why I feel really just absolutely blessed to be able to work with Mel Kubik because of her amazing singing and playing and arranging and, and her composition skills and, and because she gets it, you know, she gets the heart and soul and, and history of this music. And so as the prairie blossoms, you know, we get to travel this road together and, and share this beautiful music and bring joy and, and, and healing to our audiences. Mm. That's an incredible story. There's so much in it about mentorship and elders and listening. Yeah. Um, I know as a, an artist um, that there have been times in my life when someone has tried to impart wisdom to me. And because of my privilege, I think, my white privilege, I've not been humbled by that elder instruction. Yeah. And just to hear your story reminds me, you know, of humility, you know, in artistic practice is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and um, again, you know, just all, all the, the people and events that sort of came together, you mm -hmm. know, to, to support, support me on this journey. You know, you think, oh, it, it just it just happened. But then I, I like to think that, no, there was a lot of intention behind that. And and um, uh, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm where I need to be. Mm -hmm. Yes. So as you continue in your music, do you continue to draw inspiration? I would assume yes. From all these people, does it appear in different ways? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I would say I I I, I like to do research, you mm -hmm. know, and um, so I I feel uh, really fortunate to be able to to continue to to listen and read about people like Jim and uh, people like Lewis Ballard and all the other people around the world who also value them and, you know, have done dissertations, for example, mm -hmm. on, on the work of, of Lewis Ballard and, you know, be able to continue to, to learn mm -hmm. about this, this music and, and be able to do it from the luxury of my home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, the work is so moving. I'm really looking forward to following your lead and learning about so many of these artists that I, I don't know. I think the first time I had heard of Jim Pepper was a couple of years ago. Maybe it was shortly after Artist Rep produced the Thanksgiving play by Larissa Fast Horse. Mm -hmm. And um, I had gotten, become knowledgeable about Nea and attended a 
few things and got on some mailing lists and all. It's just this fantastic, beautiful web of learning about native culture, which I know so little about. Yeah. Well, and the Portland uh, native community is really um, quite diverse. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, the last time I heard some statistics, it was, you know, over 300 uh, federally recognized tribes uh, represented here in our local community. So um, it's a thriving community. Mm -hmm. Um, There's um, so many great organizations and community groups and, and people that um, that live here and and share tradition and culture and knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. with, uh, with one another. And uh, Jim grew up here in Portland, but every summer he went back to Oklahoma mm-hmm. and to Kansas. Um, and today, I still have friendship with uh, Jim Pepper Henry who is also, he he grew up here, but he's also now living back in Oklahoma and doing uh, fantastic work in the museum uh, community and is working on this, what's anticipated to be rivaling the National Museum of the American Indian at the Mm -hmm. Smithsonian, and it will be in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. So I had an opportunity, um, I think it was in 2017, to attend the Ka Festival, the Ka Powwow, in uh, outside of well, at Ka Lake in Oklahoma, and Karen Knight had flown out from New York to to be with Jim's niece Susie and uh, Jim's nephew Jim Pepper Henry, and it was uh, uh, just it was just lovely to get to be in in Ka Country and share a meal and, and enjoy the dances with them. I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to talk a little bit more about your inspirations because I know I'm going to enjoy digging a little deeper into some of the things you've shared with me. And I bet that there'll be other people who will really enjoy that too. Well, thank you. And is there anything else you want to add? I know we had talked a little bit about COVID-19 and you had told me that it's really difficult to talk about in a few minutes. And I 100% understand that, but I I really appreciated you telling me about tribes getting their um, CARES funding, um, which is an acronym for Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, and that the Navajo Nation will be getting a little over $600 million of the total $8 billion set to be distributed among tribes. Mm-hmm. And that you also mentioned that Larry Mullen Jr. from U2 was donating $100,000 to the Tribal COVID-19 Relief Fund. So that's an organization that people can look at also if they're interested in lending a hand if they're able. Yeah, yeah, I would encourage folks to do that. Karen also had some wonderful memories of her experience of knowing Jim Pepper's work. Yeah, see, you know, it's like I was here in in the early 80s, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know of him. And then, you know, like I said, some of my Native friends were like, what? You never heard of Jim Pepper? And and some of my non-Native friends are like, what? You didn't hear Jim Pepper and you're Native, you know? Um, so, um, but, you know, once I was introduced, I was uh, certainly a fan. 
and uh, and continue to be a fan to this day. And it's just a shame that some of his things are out of print, you know, and hard to find. But yeah, for the um, the little musical that I got to be in, I actually got to uh, have a tutorial uh, from Gordon Lee. Uh, yeah, who taught me how to how to play the chords for um, uh, Witchy Taito and and um, Coming and Going. Mm. Oh my gosh, because I'm not a piano player, but I actually was able to um, you know provide provide a little bit of uh, keyboard support to um, um, Ryan, who was playing the saxophone in the in the play. Well, I, again, I thank you so much for talking, and Mike, thanks so much for making it possible for us to add more to this special adventure in Artslandia. Adventures in Artslandia We've shared our points of view This is David Safford playing. David. <laughs>